Well, man, we're going to jump in this morning. I've got, uh, we're kicking off a new series. I, I was uh, looking at a deal, been going through the Sermon on the Mount, thinking about that we would jump into the Sermon on the Mount and kind of kind of carry that and look at some things that, that Jesus says as far as becoming a man of God and what that looks like, what those things will entail. But I need to do a little bit more work with that message series, so it may be something that we roll into by summertime. I'm going to jump into this one. This one is, is uh, a little more practical uh, as far as how we unpack as men of God. These are some must-wins that we've got to have as becoming and being men of God. And so I felt like that, that this was very important for us uh, to jump into, to kind of look, look at, at some scripture and look at ourselves. What are some must-wins in our life that as men of God, that these are things that we must win in our life. It's not uh, it's not left up to a subjective type of thought. It is set up. It's God has, has called us to be men, and He's called us to, to interpret some things, to look at some things in our life, to identify th- some things in our life that will make us more like Him. Because in this world, we need men whose feet are planted, men who stand firm. You know, there used to be a song, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. It's a little bit of that in our culture today. And I think that we, we kind of take out manly attributes. <laughs> Next week, I'll, uh, it, just in my own personal study, but I came across a scripture that's just going to blow us up. You guys will use it time and time again, so come back next week. But, uh, you know, this morning in my own personal reading, I'm in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, starting there with verse 2. And, and 2 Chronicles chapter 2, uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't sound like there would be uh, a whole lot that you would pull out of that. Actually, Second Chronicles uh, 2, 1. But it's interesting because Solomon says, I'm going to build the house of the Lord, and then he's going to build his house, basically is what he says. And he's saying, hey, I've got something that, that as a man of God, I am supposed to build, and it is supposed to be great, but it belongs to the Lord. And so I'm going to build this first, and then I'll build mine. And I think that's, that's a great, great concept for us as men of God today. So as we jump in this morning, hey, gentlemen, come on in. There's some donuts back there. Uh, Aaron, if you want a donut. Aaron's upset because I made him get up this way. Anyway, it's my nephew, Aaron. Of course, y'all know my dad, A.G. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so as we, uh, as we continue, uh, these are seven must-wins over the, over the next few weeks I'm going to be covering a must win each week and so it could be 10 must wins I don't know yet I'm up to seven right now we'll have a great time as we go through this but uh, you know any of you know who Smith Wigglesworth was okay a couple of you Smith Wigglesworth he's noted I like to go back and, and read on some of these guys who who actually revival just happened kind of where they showed up so what did these men carry what what were the characteristics of these men who made such an impact in the world that we live in today, who knew Scripture in such a way, knew the Lord in such a way that wherever they went, the, the Lord was just there. And great multitudes came out to, to hear this man, Smith Wigglesworth. He's from England. Uh, he's an interesting story. He actually founded the Pentecostal movement, the Pentecostal church, if you will. And a couple of things about Smith Wigglesworth. He believed that if someone were sick, that they had a demon... And so it wouldn't be unusual for Smith just to walk up 
And instead of pray for someone, that's right, he would just punch them as hard as he could, sometimes knocking them across the floor, and he would say, I could see Satan in you. And so I punched Satan, I didn't punch you. Now today, uh, he might have trouble with that theology, right? I mean, just, just in some things. But he supposedly would knock the devil out of someone. And then uh, there's recorded healings by, by Smith Wigglesworth. Supposedly he raised 14 people from the dead. He's, a, he's an interesting cat. I, like I said, I, I read on several different ones, but he's kind of been the last. I, I'll say this. Uh, he, he said something that, that uh, he, uh, a few things. One man asked him one time, uh, how much do you pray? And he said this. He said, uh, well, do you mean how long do I tarry? And he said, yeah, how long do you tarry? He said, well, I'll tarry praying for sometimes 30 minutes, but I rarely go 30 minutes without tarrying in prayer. And I, I, I thought, well, that's a peculiar saying. In other words, he was always in what? He was always in prayer. Uh, another thing that he said, he said, it's better to live ready than to get ready. And so, man, what we're trying to do here is equip us to live ready Instead of always trying to get ready, to know that we're ready, we're prepared, and there's some things that we must win in order for that to happen. So here's the first one. The first one is that we have to set our feet in the Scriptures. Our mind have to, has to be in the Scripture. As men of God, if we're going to be called men of God, then we need to know the Scripture. When Jesus was tempted, what did He do? He came back with the Word of God. We know John chapter 1 that Jesus is the living Word of God. So it means that we would be men of God talk to you about another guy there's a guy by the name of Joshua Chamberlain now wink you can't teach this you got to let me get through it okay I know you know who he is as a matter of fact who did he command let's just test him there he is so he just stole my thunder but anyway we'll go ahead and jump in I want to talk about Joshua Chamberlain of all the battles the U.S. has fought Here's one. It's the Battle of Gettysburg. You've probably heard of it. This was known as the most significant battle of the Civil War. It was going into the South's campaign. At that time, the South's campaign was very, very strong. General Lee was making strides. He'd almost cut off the communication lines of the Union Army. And so at this point in time, it looked like that the South possibly had a chance that they might win. As they approached Gettysburg, a professor from an elite college in Maine signs up for the North. His name was Joshua Chamberlain. They commissioned him, they assigned him to the 20th Maine. Now, the 20th Maine, it consisted of these types of men. It was considered the weakest unit, all right? There were a couple of hundred new recruits, 120 veterans, who in those 120 veterans, they were actually looking at going AWOL. They didn't want to follow this man. He had never been in battle before. And so they considered it really the weakest unit. And it comprised uh, the the Union and, and the, the, the farthest left flank of the Union there in Gettysburg. Now, they were to hold Little Round Top, and it, they did not think that the South would approach really from that way. That's why they put the, the, the weakest over here on the farthest left flank. So by this time, uh, uh, eventually, of course, the Confederates came up. Uh, they surged. And the 20th Maine was able to hold them off. Uh, eventually, they continued to fight, and the 20th Maine would find themselves out of ammunition. So Colonel Chamberlain, he basically ordered his men to round up all the ammunition from the dead and take inventory. Well, they had already done this, and they were still out of ammunition. 
So as the South was reassembling, Colonel Chamberlain ordered the 20th Maine to fix their bayonets and charge. And so as they reassembled, one more surge, supposedly one more surge by the Confederates, and this whole war would have gone a different direction. And so what he did is he had them fix their bayonets, and 80 men spilled over the wall into history, and it changed the course forever. So men, as men of God, as we spill over, we should change the course of history forever as well. Those are incredible stories, but it can be your story. It should be our story. See, in life, we have the ability to change the course of history because the God of history is welling up and working and should be working in each and every one of us. Look, if your parents were divorced, how about this? You stay married. Then history has been changed. Your dad was gone when you were growing up. How about you be around? You didn't have a church family. How about you can have a church family now? Your faith is not active. Learn how to activate it. That's part of changing the course of history as men of God. That's a must win. The most effective Christians are those who learn to win. Not basketball, not football, not track, right? But they learn how to win physical and spiritual battles. They have tested and they have been tested. There's probably someone who comes to mind to you at this time. So, life is a gift. Every breath counts. Every decision matters. Our goal, my goal, our goal as men of God must be that we will win and be effective winners for God's kingdom. And so the first thing I would say that you've got to win is you've got to establish yourself in Christ. And one of the ways that we establish ourselves in Christ is through the authority of Scripture. Now I want to talk to you about the authority of Scripture. I talked to a, a man two days ago who uh, was very concerned about his denomination, very concerned about his church, uh, wanted me praying over a couple of things with his church. It looks like uh, <clears throat> this summer is going to be uh, a huge thing for a particular denomination, and I won't mention that. And I, I was able to say, where do you think we went wrong? What happened to this church? I mean, it's a church too. This is a denomination 200 and something years, years old. And they said, oh, it's easy. We no longer uphold Scripture. Scripture is no longer the final authority. Now look, for, we, for us as men, we've got to have some absolutes in our life. And Scripture as Christian men has to be an absolute. It's an absolute. The authority of Scripture, look, it's under attack in our culture today. They say things like it's archaic, it's irrelevant, it's outdated, it's fictional, it's foolish. The authority of Scripture is under attack, um, not just in our culture, but it's also under attack in our churches. Today, you, you hear the same thing. It's archaic, it's out, irrelevant, it's outdated, it's fictional, it's foolish. It's foolish. I, I sat with a man one time who was actually recruiting me to be a pastor for a particular church. He was a uh, district superintendent, and he said, I don't believe Noah and the ark. I don't believe that. That, that, that's, just a, that's just some of that Old Testament jargon. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe Jonah in the way. I don't believe all that stuff. Those are things that just show us who God is, but it's not the actual Word of God. That's in our own church. If we're not careful, we as men will succumb to the way the world thinks, and the world will be the influence for our theology instead of Scripture being the authority and the influence for our theology, for who we are. See, uh, it's interesting, when I was at divinity school, I remember probably my second or third year, one of the professors said, now look, the Bible is simply God's word with man's handwriting all over it. That's a dangerous statement. 
Well, does that mean that the Pauline epistles are equivalent with the Gospels? Let me answer that question for you, yes? All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And we'll get to that a little bit, bit later, but you've got, to, you've got to settle that. It was interesting in my own personal reading this morning, I was in my office, and I was thinking, man, my office is just really a holy place. It's, I enjoy getting there early in the morning. I like drinking my coffee. I like reading reading the Word of God, and it's like God begins to well up in me strength for the day. And it's not through my own strength. It's, not, it's, it's just through a discipline that's established. And as that discipline becomes more and more established, then you can go back and you can say, hey, I could see God working in me through these areas of my life. It's a must win in my life. I have to say there are absolutes, and there are absolutes tru- a- absolute truths out there. Now, I'm not a guy that says that there are not other areas of absolute truth. If I were to, to go on top of this building, which, you know, the last time I went on top of this building, I said, Brett, hold that ladder, man. Because when I come off, it's ugly anymore. It's like, geez. But here's, here's an absolute truth. I mean, the gravitational constant is 9.82 meters per second squared. There's something you can put in your book. I'm sure everybody wants to know that. Oh, 9.81. See, they already changed it. It wasn't even absolute truth, was it? So, so you can't trust anything. <laughs> so, so as you look at that, as you look at that, there, there are some absolutes. I'm not saying there's not other absolutes out there, but I'm telling you the Word of God is an absolute truth, and you've got to settle that because it's going to be challenged in your life. When you come to someone with Scripture and they go, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's an ar- archaic word out there. No, this can be a transformational word for you. We don't have to back up, men. We don't have to apologize. I I'm not a great fan of the term apologetics, even though it's not just found in the Christian church. Of course, it's found throughout every religion. Apologetics means to make a defense of. I just don't like the word. Because it's like we're making an apology in order to defend our faith. So, look, a big part of our problem today is simply authority. Authority has become a bad word. Instead of honoring authority in our culture, it has become more, much more appropriate to discredit it. What's at stake if you don't win in this area? Everything, because you'll lose your compass for life. How do we know about God? Here's how we know about God. Because, because it is written. This is how we know about God. All right, You won't experience life as God intended for you if we don't learn who he is how do we know about the holy spirit i'll tell you how we know about the holy spirit because it is written how do we know about life death resurrection and ascension of jesus because it is written and there's a lot of things at stake if we don't uphold this absolute truth we'll lose our way what am i going to preach on sunday morning the next generation watch will drift away even further so the more of this nonsense that's pumped out of our divinity schools or out of our Uh, where truth is supposed to be found, where God is supposed to be found out of our seminaries, the more of this that's diluted, the next generation becomes more and more further or has drifted further from an absolute truth. Men, absolute truth has to be found as men of God in the Word, in Scripture. It's a spirit of pride. It's when, when we rebel against what God says and what the Scripture states. You know, uh, the Lord says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, when we reject it, it becomes a spirit of arrogance. 
Romans 1, 21 says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And eventually in verse 25 it says this, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans 1 is a great chapter to go look at a culture who once knew God, but did not eventually honor Him as God. They drifted away from the truth. If you read all of Romans chapter 1, you'll, you'll see where it says, So God turned them over to the depraved minds and the passions of their own lust. So He turned them over. What a scary thing. Well, we say, would God ever release us? Would, would God ever? Well, what if we just continue to reject? Eventually God says, you don't want me in there. I started to teach this this morning, and I don't have time. I've got 10 minutes here. But I started to teach this this morning about how dangerous it is when we pull God and we pull absolute truth out of areas in our lives. You don't have to be a scholar to see this. When you pull schools, when you pull God out of schools, people want to know, man, we've we got to get rid of the guns. Well, we've got to get rid of the crazy people. Well, look, these guys have no true north. We, we, we've pulled them out. So our God is a God of order, and you take a God of order out, then what do you wind up with? Chaos, disorder. <laughs> Jeez, man, i got a story about that in the schools. But anyway, we don't have time for that. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. We have a lot that profess to be wise. It's amazing to me how many people I sit down with, and they have to tell me their educational background in order to justify their position. Well, if you're formally educated, that didn't have anything to do with Peter and Paul and the apostles. The Scripture says in Acts chapter 2 that they were uneducated men but it was obvious that they had walked with who Jesus and Jesus is the word he is the absolute truth so God has given us his ways he's given us his instruction he's given us his scriptures and I'm just here to tell you that the scriptures will minister in each and every one of the situations in your life it, it is <laughs> the scriptures are not God but they lead us to a place of knowing our God. Now, that's important because here's the comeback. I know that when we use Scripture at school a couple of times, different, two different professors at least said this, said, men, you guys um, are, are men who have made the Bible your God. No. We understand that the Bible was written by God for us to know Him. What, are you going to find them in your emotions? Are you going to find them in your scholarly thoughts? Where do you find them? And so there's an important thing here that we have to settle before I can go on in, in anything else. Before I came to work at Harvest, my first question for them, in, in the first official interview, if you will, I said, what is your number one value? And had they said anything other than Scripture, I would have left. Because I was tired of fighting that battle. If we haven't won that one, then I have no absolutes to stand on. None. Second Timothy 3.16, you heard me quote it a while ago. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in 
righteousness. All Scripture is inspired by God. I tell people all the time that if your fire's got out, gone out, you need to ask yourself a couple of questions. Are you in the Word? Because if you want to be inspired, if the Scripture's inspired, then feed upon the Word. And you'll be inspired. There's something in there. I shared Second Chronicles chapter 2, uh, verse 1, uh, just a while ago. And if you were to read that, you would say, well, that doesn't seem that that's inspiring to me. And yet when I read it, I was able to write a half paragraph on it. It's not that I'm more spiritual. It's because I know the season we're in in this church and what I'm praying for for this church. This is, and so I'm looking for direction. And so it's in there. I know God is speaking. If you lack inspiration for God, maybe we've got to check ourselves. Are you being taught the scriptures? Do you need reproved? Do you need correction? Maybe it's simply being trained in righteousness. Now, when I tell you about the, the scriptures, and we'll get to some application here in just a moment, just know this, that you may read the scriptures and say, I simply don't understand. And that's okay. I don't know anyone who jumped into algebra in the third grade that understood it. <laughs> I don't know that I ever really understood it myself. I'm just saying, all right? I, it, it, what, it takes some, it, it, it takes some time. It, it takes some practice. It takes some, some asking for understanding. Sometimes it takes a tutor in order for us to understand. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says this, I passed on what I learned to you. Christ died, was buried, and raised on the third day. He says, I passed it on. How did Paul pass it on? Through letters. He wrote it. I passed this on. I want to teach you who our God is. James 1, through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So he jumps in here and he says, hey, it's, it's one thing to just hear, but... In order to do something, most people do what they know, what they know. I mean, mechanics, if you're a mechanic out there, you're doing what you know. Uh, if you, if you uh, Billy Joe's a great example, so he's a lineman, so he's doing what he has been trained to do, what he knows. And as we, we're told here, James says, be doers of the word, so there's an expectation, men, that we would know the Word of God. Not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Which right now, that's not a lot of fun for me. It's probably not a lot of fun for you. Right? But, but he sees himself. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This is the one that is blessed in what he does. Doers of the work, doers of the word. This is the one who is blessed in what he does. So you want to be blessed in your marriage. You want to be blessed in your parenting. You want to be blessed in your identity. The word of God has things to say about that. It makes sense. God has a way of doing things. I would say it this way. Our father has a way of doing things. And as we learn His ways, His will becomes our will. The more we walk with our Heavenly Father, the more we resemble what and who He is. And so it takes this walk, it takes this journey. It's a place of, we talked about sanctification. You remember the, the bowl I had in here and I poured the Word of God. I pour, poured Jesus into that cup with all that dirt in it and that, that eventually spilled out. And what did you have? You had the clear clean water as we walk with our father we're pouring him into us we're learning his will we're learning his ways 
My dad had a way that, that he liked things done. I mean, if you're a farmer, there's a time to plant. There's a time to, to do some things. There's a time to harvest. There's, there's these things that, that you want done and you want them done right. It just makes sense. The scriptures are given to us because God's love for us, God's instruction for marriage. He says this about marriage. Now tell me if this goes along with culture. Marriage is identified in scripture as one man, one woman for a lifetime. You ever had anybody try to argue that with you? As a pastor, you will. I mean, I had to meet with an attorney and have an attorney draw up papers saying that we are bound to the scriptures and this is how we identify marriage so that I would not be forced to go against what this Word of God says. Is that not, that's in our culture today. Did you know in England right now that you can marry your pet? They say we're 20 years behind that now. It gets absurd because where God is not, there chaos reigns. And so we have to know and be men of His Word. Parenting, nurturing, and discipling. How do we parent? I was praying over, uh, my son's a boy, and uh, a son should be a boy. <laughs> That's good, so amen, we got that one right. You know, but, but boys sometimes uh, are ornery and do a couple things. He and a buddy of his got, got I was kind of proud of him. I mean, he got in a little situation here and, so uh, Allison said, how are you going to discipline him? So I called the other boy's dad and talked to him a little bit. And then I went to the Word of God, and I thought, you know what? I've been needing to read this particular book that I bought here a while back, and I could have him write me a summary on that book, and I won't have to read it. <laughs> <laughs> but he will, and he'll give me that report by Saturday. Because uh, what? The Apostle Paul wrote to the churches. Uh, he, he wrote to men as though they were sons, right? And, and so we learned from that. Put a little scripture in there. I uh, wrote him a letter here a while back. And, and on the front of the letter, I, I just it was his birthday. So on the front of the letter, I just uh, put a, a whole chapter of a book on the front of this, this uh, on the envelope. And it was interesting to me because he didn't say anything about my words in the letter. But he said, Dad, that was some of the most awesome scripture I've read. Well, I guess that's okay. God trumped me, that's fine, right? But parenting, if you want to learn how to be a good parent, it's in the Scriptures. You want to learn how to be a good husband, it's in the Scriptures. You, you, you want to know about your identity, male and female. He created. You want to know that you were created for a purpose, Ephesians 4, 4, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, that God has a hope in you. The Scriptures are full of things to inspire us for what we are called to do. Look, there is not one of you that was made by accident, men, but you were made to be a man. And men stand for some things. Sometimes men bear scars from fights, from standing up for the right ones. For protecting what they ought to protect. And we should protect the Word of God as though it's a treasure. I had a person challenge me one time said, uh, so you get paid for, for preaching the Word of God. And I said, well... <laughs> I do more than just preach the word, but if that's, yeah, he says, so you just, you, you preach on Sunday and you get a check. So, okay, yeah, I mean, you can talk to my staff about what my job looks like, but okay, yeah, I don't really know where you're going. He said, well, I just don't know why you would take a check for that. And I just sat there for a minute and I said, let me ask you a question. 
what is of most value in your life? And he just sat there for a minute and he said, I don't know, I got a lot of things that are really valuable in my life. And I said, is the word of God valuable to you? Is that like that pot of gold? Is that, is that like you would sell everything in a field so that you could go get that? Because if someone were able to open that to me, I might give everything I had to hear it. Is it that valuable to you? That's who we are as men of God, and that's the great treasure that we carry in the Word of God. See, look, the Word of God tells us if we don't work, we shouldn't what? Eat. With money. Uh, tithe, give, budget. We just went through all this. The generous will prosper. The borrower is a slave to the lender. Right? It's got things to say about every venue, every avenue of our lives. It's a must win for us as men, and, as, as men of God. We've got to resolve this in our heart because as we resolve this in our heart, I'm going to be telling you a story each week over men who changed our culture and changed the environments, regardless of, of where they went, the environment, they were environment changers. So I just talked about Smith Wigglesworth this morning. I'll open each week with these men who just treasured the Scripture in their heart, and you will see what unfolded as they stepped onto the playing field, if you will, of life. This is what God wants for each and every one of us. So resolve that today in your life under the authority of Scripture. So I'll challenge you with these questions. Are there any areas where there is a gap between what God says and how you live? Sometimes there is, right? Um, scriptures for help. We're going to, through this, learn how to pray the scriptures. You ever prayed the scriptures? You ever prayed over your wife? <laughs> Lord, your word says that she should submit to me. So you had not done that one yet? So we'll learn some things, right? Scriptures for help right is your home a hope of peace or does it turn into the octagon when you get home right with your spouse and with your kids i tell you one of the scriptures that my kids have memorized is romans sixteen twenty: be excellent at what is good be innocent of evil and the god of peace will soon crush satan and god will crush him underneath your feet underneath your feet that's the word of god so i believe it and that's what we see happen You've got to win this, man. This is who we are as men of God. The scriptures, the scriptures are the truth that you carry in Christ Jesus. Father God, I thank you for each one of these men. Father, as they discuss their questions, Father, lead them by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.